0: A colada didn't become a colada until early revolution. And the reason why it became popular and it is the size that it is is because coffee shops, well, one, they ceased to exist. They transitioned into home businesses for tax purposes.
1: Welcome back to Drip, a DC Coffee Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Brower. The colada shop is one of DC's pinnacle Cuban establishments. Mario Monti, food and beverage director of the colada shop, opens up our understanding of how cuban coffee as we know it came to be we explore how his beverage program creates the opportunity for an all-day affair spanning coffee in the morning claudas in the afternoon and evening cocktails so without further ado sit back grab your cup of coffee and enjoy the episode We got Mario Monti of The Colada Shop here today. Hello. Hello. And Mario, you're a partner and food and beverage director of The Colada Shop. We first met, I guess it was probably a year now. Yeah. During a coffee crawl. Yeah. Which you kind of broke down the Cuban culture and The Colada itself with me and a few other people.
0: Correct. Yeah, it it was a fun time. Yeah. I remember that.
1: But really excited to have you here today because The Colada Shop brings what I view as kind of a different take on coffee and brings in a lot of Cuban tradition, which is really exciting. And we haven't been able to touch upon that yet in the podcast. Cool. So excited to get your perspective and then also learn a little more about your journey. So thanks again for being here of today. Of
0: course, I'm more than happy. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, of course. So let's just start it off with what initially got you into coffee?
0: My house, and we touched on this briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in, I guess it was a more positive male-centric household. Although, I mean, I was the only boy and the rest were women, but in culture wise, I had a Cuban dad and Italian grandfather. Mm -hmm. So how to be a proper gentleman was a very important thing in my house and the things that a gentleman doesn't leave his house with certain things really led into my grandfather and my dad's love affair of coffee and serving the proper strong coffee pretty much came from Italian roots. Acolada or coffee is really important to Cuban people. Mm -hmm. I grew up with this rite of passage that I could really join conversation or serious adult conversation Mm -hmm. around men if I knew how to serve a proper coffee. I'm not sure if, in hindsight, if it was to let me just get the kid out of the way and have him make a coffee. But I took it to heart. I really love putting and joining people together. And I think my love for serving something that was very social, that was a gateway for me to join a conversation, became Mm -hmm. very personal. And that was coffee.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You may have already answered this, but... When I think about coffee, I always attribute it to my dad. Are there specific people in your life that when you think of coffee, you think of them?
0: My dad, yeah. My dad is one of those people. Everyone in my family jokes around. With my dad's around, I mean, the answer is always going to be yes, he wants Mm -hmm. coffee. So people make it a point to not ask him if he wants coffee. So they want to make everyone else feel just a little bit better. And my dad always jokes and he's like, what about me? And we're like, we already know you want coffee, Mm -hmm. George, you know? So, you know, it happened to me when I was in Miami and the same thing happens. And it's just a big joke. Everyone asks for coffee, but don't ask George. Never ask George. (laughs) (laughs) Take notes,
1: listeners. That, that's really neat. I think as we get farther into this, you're going to talk about the community of the Colada and your shop as well. And just throughout all the conversations, there is always this through line of coffee brings people together. So it's always fun to hear who yeah, people think about for that's it.
0: That's what we believe in.
1: Yeah. So the Colada shop, a heavy Cuban influence. Could you just share a little bit about Cuban coffee, the tradition of Cuban coffee, and maybe what makes it slightly different?
0: What I've really learned to appreciate is... I always like to know the whys of things. I'm a big food nerd in the sense of, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm a, I'm a foodie. I feel like people use that term very loosely. When I mean I'm a food nerd is I like to understand the whys of things and the reactions that happen. And food history for me is extremely fascinating. Why people eat, how they eat it, what's the reason, how is it here, how did it get here. I was very fascinated by that when I spent a lot of time in Italy as a kid. The buffalo and the history of the buffalo and why mozzarella di bufala was a thing. I started connecting things, and I realized that Italy was the most famous entity for coffee, but it didn't grow it. It interested me in understanding people, coffee, food, and how they do it. The connection of food and how it gets to us is super important. And then the other side of that was, okay, how do I learn about where it comes from? The farmers became a little bit more important for me about that.
1: Also, just about the collada and... But there's a lot of sugar in it, uh, small and intense. So sugar is also another
0: crop. You have the farmer and you have the crops that grew and and they were growing on a small island. It it was a very big popular island. My my grandparents used to party in Cuba. Their stories of the Pearl of the Caribbean was what that island was called. Hmm. So it was the Vegas before Vegas. So you had a big influx of people coming in internationally, pre-revolution, there were coffee shops and there was this big influx of business and there a lot of businesses existed and there was a brand new coffee culture because mm. of the European influence in Cuba. A lot of that seized after the revolution and more people were already used to that at that point. So when crops changed from coffee to sugar because they made more money, the government made more money with sugar, mm-hmm. people wanted the coffee. They craved it. There was already a culture that started with coffee. Adding sugar was there because what do you do when you have ingredients available? You use it. Mm-hmm. So Cubans... If you were to serve a Cuban, if they go to a restaurant and you say, hey, I want a Café Cubano, and you don't put sugar in it, it's a bit insulting. Hmm. They will say something. I've definitely experienced that with my dad before. He's like, I thought I asked for a Cuban coffee. And they're like, um, espresso. And my dad's like, I would have asked for espresso if I wanted it. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people have that misconception of sugar is an integral ingredient of what makes Cuban coffee. Yeah, The strength, the, the vibrancy... The sweetness helps with the mouthfeel, and also Cubans really love sugar And anything that they do. Pastries, food, it's very traditional to eat a ripe banana with dishes. For instance, we have here in the States Sloppy Joe. Mm -hmm. In Cuba, they have picadillo, which is a traditional minced meat done with peppers and rice, and they'll often pair that, and you eat it together, ripe banana, the meat, and the rice, Mm -hmm. and there's this huge love affair of sweet and salty but a natural sweetness not like the asian version of it where it's more of this saucy viscous tart sweet so cubans are dear with sweetening things but also creating balance and strength it speaks a lot of their personality
1: yeah so cubans are sweet and then strong yeah
0: okay. yeah well at least they think they're ba- everyone thinks they're balanced yeah, but um it's a big part of how they are their mannerisms, their approach of life. There are people that are ingeniously just MacGyvers, mm-hmm. is the best way I can really say it. They're strong willed people. If you ever see any of the history of Cuba, you completely understand why people hold so tightly to traditions. Mm-hmm. Because it's really, I would say, it's, I don't know what I can really think about, but I'm sure there's other Asian cultures that their culture ceased to exist. It's very different from what it is now to what it used to be, and people love the Cuba of yesterday, and everybody's in love with the Cuba of yesterday, but in reality, if you want to experience it, one of the only places is Miami.
1: Hmm.
0: So, I mean, it's a sad truth, but Miami is very politically charged with both sides of who's for it and who's against it. Mm -hmm. And so restaurants that are Cuban restaurants become cultural hubs, and they become centers of politics, whether good or bad, and they celebrate everything of what
1: Cuba used to be. Mm-hmm. Going back a little bit to the heavy use of sugar in coffee, mm-hmm. it sounds like that was attributed to the change in crops that were grown in Cuba, or was Cuban coffee always heavily sweetened?
0: Cuban coffee became sweetened basically when crops changed. Mm-hmm. From my understanding, it wasn't always sweetened. My grandmother tells me that when coffee shops existed, they were really more there for the tourists. But the working class then slowly became influenced by, I guess, the same thing here in the States where one thing that becomes popular starts to recreate itself in different versions and Mm -hmm. dilutes into different businesses. So that's kind of what happened. And sugar was a really cheap crop. It gave you the sweetness, it was a calories, it was something that you could do short, potent, it got you going, it gave you the energy.
1: Yeah.
0: The addition of sugar became somewhat of a poor man's addition, if you will. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And people enjoyed the taste. I mean, I guess most people who try coffee for the first time either really love it or not. But I think it's just a matter of how you introduce it to someone. Yeah.
1: People still seem to enjoy the taste, too.
0: Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it keeps on growing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And one thing you said when we were talking before this is you were thinking of what would Cuban food and drink have been like without the revolution?
0: I say this a lot because it's meaningful and a lot of people who love the traditional Cuban mm-hmm. uh, so don't think about what if that didn't happen, where would we be today? You know, a colada didn't become a colada until early revolution. And the reason why it became popular and it is the size that it is is because Coffee shops, well, one they ceased to exist. They transitioned into home businesses for tax purposes, hmm. and they moved into a mocha pot instead of an espresso machine. Cubans aren't going to make a mocha pot and then only serve half of it because the customer came and only wanted. Well, I hate seeing a customer, but somebody came to their door yeah. wanting to buy coffee, and they're not just going to buy a two ounce
1: cup. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to brew a colada. You know, colada means to colar, which means one full brew. Okay, that's where one colada came from, it signified, oh, you're going to get one full brew of the mocha pot. Yeah. So, like any old Cuban would do, if you have some or you have extra, you share. Mm -hmm. Um, So, it became a very social thing, playing chess, playing dominoes, and then getting coladas and coffees that... This would last for a while. My dad is notorious for getting colas and having it all afternoon and smoking a cigar with it. Mm -hmm. It became a leisure thing. It became a social thing. You also wouldn't drink it all one by yourself. It's one of those things that you will get looked at sideways Mm -hmm. for doing. You know, it wasn't until I got here that I was a bit shocked too when I was talking to people about the coffee menu. And they were like, oh, that's like a quad from Starbucks. People get that all the time. And I was like, by themselves? And they're like, yeah. I was like, okay, I guess. I mean, I knew people who did it, but they sipped on it all day. You know what I mean? It's been interesting to see what people do with some of the traditional touches that Miami offers Mm -hmm. as far as coffee menus and then kind of change it into more of an American pace.
1: Well, thank you for going into that because it just it's helpful to have that foundation as we move into the colada shop and talk more about it. So in regards to the colada shop, could you tell the listeners kind of what the Clotta Shop is and how you got into it and kind of the origin story of the Collada Shop?
0: Yeah. So Collada Shop, we were really much inspired. Um, one of my best friends who was already living here in D.C., who was one of the partners, Daniela, she's been living here for about six years before I moved, and she would come down to Miami, and she loved getting coffee with me, and we would meet up, and she's like, you know, this doesn't exist in D.C. People really crave for this, like, mid-afternoon anything, or a coffee shop that could do something savory, small, like an all-day thing, like, this is normal for us, you know, she's from the Dominican Republic. And she grew up there and we met in college. So she understood the way Americans, overall the American culture, reacted to coffee shops. But we were both in the industry. You know, one of the things is also anticipating what customer wants and Mm -hmm. seeing trends and understanding that often you find yourself in that 3 p.m. lull where I don't really want to go to an empty coffee shop right now. I could really go for something that either serves a little bit of anything. I could have a meeting or, you know, a four o'clock meeting. You're like, oh, there's nothing around me. To us or for certain people, that's more of an opportunity. We started working on the idea. That was around the time when the embargo was somewhat being lifted. Hmm. Uh, there was a lot of Cuban talks. There was a lot of things brewing about anything Cuban. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I said, hey, she's from the Dominican Republic. I'm sure she'd love to push forward Dominican Caribbean culture. But we really used... Hmm. Cuba as a vehicle, because it's all very similar, but it was a very easy introduction because everybody knows a Café Cubano, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people don't know a colada. For us, it became natural to say, hey, here we have this drink that people would get excited about, and then we can introduce and build a brand around what this drink means. We said, hey, we want to do it a certain way. We want it to be colorful. We want it to be vibrant. We want to transport people but we want to make it a social spot, Mm -hmm. you know, and we created a word called Cubanism, which is the vibrancy of anything Cuban hospitality, whether it's food, flavors, coffee, and also cocktails. That's what we base the entire brand about with hospitality. And then all these different goals that we had in mind to serve to people and be an all day eatery.
1: Yeah, it is that and it's perfect for it.
0: It is. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty proud that. You know, us as a team, we've been able to each focus on different aspects of the business to be able to come together and create that for people and get them excited and get them to think of the different spectrum of what it is to be a Latino Mm -hmm. and, you know, how multicolored we are, but also very respectful of one another.
1: Yeah. So you kind of, you have good food, you have good coffee items, then you also have good beverages. Yes. With regards to on an average day... How many people come to the shop for each percentage of those? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, so we get a nice crowd. You know, where we are located on 14th and T, it's somewhat off the beaten path when we get a lot of commuters. It's not close enough to the U Street location, but we do get a lot of the neighborhood adjacent. Weekend for us are the big coffee days. Mm -hmm. I joke around, too, when I meet other coffee owners and I ask them, hey, how much skim milk do you use in your concept? They're like, oh, yeah, we got a lot of those, like, you know, a skim this or no fat this. And I was like, dude, my skim milk in my store spoils sometimes. Like, I'll buy a case and nobody ever gets like they really understand and they treat what we do. They're not afraid of sugar. They're mm-hmm. not afraid of whole milk, which I know sometimes is a different case in most coffee houses. Not that I would ever serve bad milk, but you know what I mean? Like It just like sits there and we never get a request for it. It's really interesting to see how people treat us, that they see it as an experience, Mm -hmm. that they're not afraid of asking for a Miami sweet café con leche. Yeah. uh, And they want the whole milk. So weekends for us, I would say we sell the most bulk of our coffee sales, but... Happy hour crowd is pretty good. Pretty when, good it's, when it's warm out, like yeah. today, <laughs> it'll be a busy day at the shop, yeah.
1: Nice. I imagine for some people walking into the shop, it could be slightly intimidating to look up on the wall and see different words that they're not used to in regards to coffee. What do you do in regards to hiring and training to ensure that you know, your staff can support people who are maybe slightly confused or even curious?
0: Yeah, that happens a lot. You know, I train myself on how to say things properly. I train them on Cubanism, what it means to me. The only Cuban in the concept. Uh, so I, <laughs> I'm the one that's like, hey, ask Mario. Or like Mario would know. I explain to them what it should be like. How they can explain it to people. You know, so when people ask, hey, what's a cafe con leche? I'm like, it's a Latin latte, but it's sweetened. You can have it hot or iced. So I want to use words like or similar to educate, but to kind of debunk what people might feel is intimidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, people know... A mojito for a mojito, and then also a piña colada. People think that we serve and we're known for our piña coladas, but we didn't call it a colada shop because of piña coladas. Hmm. So it's one of those things that I tell my staff, hey, try to be as friendly as you can. Recognize, you know, if they are a coffee drinker, you can automatically tell. You can connect yeah. with them in that sense. And we do all the classics and we do them well. But we definitely aren't 100% focusing on just the cappuccino or the latte it's we want to bring a little bit more the excitement of when a latino comes and they see a cafe con leche on the menu is an exciting thing it's it's one of those moments where it is a good enough drink to put on the menu you know it should have its space because i don't know where cortado came from but i remember a version of that in italy but we never called it a cortado Mm -hmm. but we have cortaditos in our culture You know, I remember seeing more when I traveled up north, a Cortado, and I remember like, why are people getting so on board with a Cortado? But then, in the beginning, a café con leche wasn't – it was a big foreign thing, and it was like this exotic drink that they were Hmm. having. And then they drank it, and they're like, oh, it's like a sweet latte. And I'm like – Yeah, that's what it is, you know? And for us, a lot of things is I tell them like, hey, let them try it. And if they don't like it, then we'll find something else on the menu that they will. I'm not afraid to have people just try it or give my staff the power to say, hey, believe me, you're going to like it. And if you don't come back, we'll make it work. So it's, it's challenging. Change isn't the easiest thing for everyone, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it's coffee. And if you came for coffee, then you're definitely going to experience it at the shop
1: yeah no that's brilliant, and that's and you've talked a lot about the experience, and it truly is when you walk into the Clotter shop. The music's fun and vibrant. the coffee's yep. fun and vibrant. the staff's great. so if you haven't been, definitely definitely go. So you are the food and beverage director, so you you manage everything. Could you tell us a little bit about your creative process with regards to either coffee drinks or actually a coffee cocktail drink would be fun to walk through.
0: yeah, you? coffee is a great vehicle, whether sweet or savory or even pastry. I guess my process for that would be, I always try to think of what my starter is going to be and what my end result will be and how I can play with the acidity notes. And then what process of the coffee can I use? Would it be better for me to use a different brewing method to create a different, much more smoother product? I'm not going to use espresso for something that I'm going to leave out because you know I understand how the shelf life of espresso will be, the acidity or how it settles and then it just completely doesn't do. So I play around a lot with different dials of basically grinding the coffee, playing with different temperatures, almost think like a marinating in a savory way.
1: The coffee The marinating. coffee, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So creating this whole cold brew we do a almost like a flash cold brew method at the shop. So I don't really soak my beans. I do a much more higher ground weight when I do my coffee in a short amount of hot water. Hmm. And then it gets cooled down by ice. Okay. It really helps to keep the body of the coffee, but cut down on the acidity of letting it sit for 24 hours. Also, it's viscous and when you're in a really you know busy coffee shop it can be a bit more of like it's an extra step of labor of you know make sure the thing is dated and you know for me it adds a certain fresh quality because our coffee is quite potent that when i did try to do a 24-hour brewing method or soaking it brought out way too much acidity that (laughs) i have never really been a big fan of the addition of water to cold brew when you're serving it to a customer Mm -hmm. so Understanding how my staff is going to execute a drink and how it looks and the perception of a customer is super important. Hmm. So the look of something that I'm going to do, coffee is the same way. I know the agitation of coffee is going to lighten and become very frothy on top, which is perfect for a cocktail. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I will use espresso for that. And espresso is wonderful at, you know, when you shake coffee a lot, it creates this beautiful foam. There's lots of different coffee shops in Italy that will do foam art. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen this, where they agitate espresso and they add sugar to it. And basically what they do is they grab a glass bottle and then they layer and create pictures Mm. depending on the color of the
1: foam. Interesting.
0: So I like to use that top foam for my cocktail kind of presentation or garnish. Mm. Every cocktail needs a garnish. Yeah. So I've played around simply with making sure that we take the proper steps yeah. of shaking the cocktail, using things like fernet, but a particular fernet, mint, espresso, brown sugar. Putting all those together is what we call Havana Noir, which is delicious. You get mint and coffee is delicious. Okay. So is citrus and coffee, which would be a carajillo, which we spoke about.
1: Yeah. Um, and what's the Café Noir? What goes into it?
0: Café no Noir is espresso. It's rum. Uh, it's a gold rum. That's fernet, brown sugar, mint leaves that all get shaken and then strained into a coop. And you get this beautiful, beautiful foam mm. that stays for a while, which is fun. Sometimes yeah. you get a cocktail that's served up and you see that top kind of fizz out and yeah. then it just becomes yeah. a liquid. I take that as a challenge of, I want your first sip to be as good as your last. So coffee helps with doing that Uh, Hmm. and then we just simply garnish it with some mint yeah we did that a lot during the winter which was really really fun we've also done the juanito which is tamarind tonic lime juice simple syrup which is really 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 delicious tamarind and coffee we use cold brew for that method because it adds i don't want to add too much acidity to something that's already highly acidic yeah but it adds a note of this almost deep brown sugar. So once you understand your product completely and its versatility, you're able to kind of play around with it and give people different experiences. Like we are having today of espresso and tonic and angostura. Yeah, which, which is awesome. Yeah, which is What's it called
1: again. It's called sal-
0: the centinella.
1: Sentinella, <laughs> yes, Nela, <laughs> close over.
0: Um, and it's all a delicious thing. It, coffee can be refreshing. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be served hot. Obviously, there's a huge popularity of iced coffee. Yeah. But the addition of other ingredients, I think it's fun. It elevates mm-hmm. it. It refreshes it. It doesn't always have to be about caffeine. Yeah, caffeine's great. But
1: and do you see uh, your customer base? Start out with the colada shop, say, for coffee, and then later on they realize there's cocktails and they jump between both. All
0: the departments really alternate with one another. My thought process to be able to create this all-day affair, I needed to make sure that if somebody was going into the shop who may not have known that we serve coffee which happens from time to time mm-hmm. where people walk in knowing us for all oh, the empanadas they are great and they come in they are great <laughs> and they come in and they're like going to get an empanada and they see the coffee menu and they're like whoa you know there's a certain surprise for everyone and it really helps one another to no matter what time you're coming in that each group within my menu helps to jump off one another. Hmm. You know, so cocktail yeah. empanadas really go hand in hand with cocktails and croquetas do the same. So we get a huge drinking crowd who What's comes a in. Croquet. Oh a croqueta. Oh okay cool. Yeah this Thank is you. fun. Yeah. <laughs> croquetas are bechamel fritters. They're super, super traditional Cuban snack food. They sometimes replace the mm-hmm. consumption of protein or complete proteins. So it's basically it's minced ham. Traditional one is ham. But uh, we also do chicken. But it's minced ham. that We do a thickened bechamel. Do you know what a bechamel is? So do you like Alfredo sauce? Yeah. It's a sauce that's just like Alfredo, but take the cheese off. So which is nice. butter, flour, milk. Uh-huh. In French cooking, it's a mother sauce. So what we do is we do a much more thicker version of that because what happens once that sauce gets cold, it basically comes together as one. And then when it gets hot, it kind of relaxes and becomes looser and creamier. <laughs> So making croquetas is somewhat of an art form. You add this to it, becomes very creamy, and we add just a little bit of breadcrumbs to kind of tighten everything together. And then they basically get cooled, rolled, breaded, and fried. And it's this very creamy, but super savory, and I guess there's no other word, but hammy, you know, mm-hmm. kind of texture. And it's a flavor profile that Cubans adore. They have a croqueta for everything. For Valentine's Day in Miami, they had like heart shaped, instead of a chocolate heart shaped box, it was a croqueta heart shaped box. Wow. And there's a huge cultural thing of croquetas in Miami. All of this really ties in back to food. Like the pastries, the croquetas and the empanadas are what, they're all under our all day affair menu. We serve this all the time. You can totally have a croqueta. You can totally have an empanada in the morning, or you can have it at lunch. You can have it at dinner. Or as a snack. So everything is really thought out so that it doesn't make you feel weird if you want something early in the morning Mm -hmm. or if you're eating it later in the day.
1: That's really nice. So you can kind of be pulled through the colada experience based on the menu.
0: You can. I mean, I'm not going to look at you in a judgy way if you get a Cubano at 7 a.m. You know what I mean? If your stomach can handle that, more power to you. There you go. You know, like we're all about it. And we totally got people who order Cubanos, like first thing we... We open up the shop. We're not going to be selling alcohol that early, but yeah. definitely with coffee, even pastries, which I want to push. Like when it comes to pastries, I I guess my competitor is a croissant up here, huh. so I'm really I have a battle against the croissant at the moment.
1: Nice. How's it going?
0: <laughs> I'm really trying to win people yeah. over. On the weekends, it goes great. We sell a ton of pastries uh, for catering. Okay, but I understand like when my family comes up here and they visit me. One of their favorite things to do is to get a sweet cheese pastelito with a cafe con leche. Super traditional pairing, or even a tortada, which is like a buttered toast. Mm -hmm. Dunking your buttered toast in your coffee is like the best thing you could ever do. Hmm. It's often my sister's breakfast. It's like a big, that's what Cuban breakfast is. Okay. Buttered toast, coffee. Sounds weird, but wouldn't be the first time people put butter in coffee.
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I may have to try that this weekend.
0: (laughs) You should. Honestly, if you do do that, like come get a tostada, dunk it in the sweet okay. cafe con leche, and I really hope you enjoy it because it's really That's special. Good. All right, yeah. I'll report
1: back. <laughs> good. And so, with regards to the Colada shop, you know, at the beginning, you're talking about kind of sharing the Cuban vision, Cubanisms. Where's the Colada shop in five years?
0: Colada shop in five years. I would really, really love to. We want to grow more locations. We're working on our third location already, so
1: Wait, are you allowed to share where that's going to be?
0: Um, for sure, it's going to be at the wharf. Okay, um, nice. Part of that is just lease terms and mm-hmm. DC and construction time and all that. Yeah, but um, that's definitely going to be our next home. Nice. I think I want to broaden the horizon a little bit or broaden the menu when it comes to what else Cuban mm-hmm. people do. You know, I. Don't see myself doing full meals just because I like this aspect of Cuban culture, this all-day social eatery sort of experience. Mm -hmm. But I do see us doing more locations. Would love to be able to do and retail some of my products, which would be fun to do.
1: What would that look like?
0: I would really love to like croquetas and empanadas, like having an at-home experience.
1: Yeah. So you could like package it and then... Yeah, I mean, exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: You know, our cilantro oil is super popular in store. A lot of our customers call it crack sauce. That, to me, I'm like, I'm going to bottle that up and sell yeah. it, you know what I mean? It's something that I think signifies change, and it's bright, and it goes with a lot of things, and it pairs really well with an empanada. Yeah. I am totally open to seeing what else comes up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Five years, I've been working on this brand for three it's gone by super quick. Yeah, I bet. So uh, I'm just excited to kind of see. Um, I'll go as far as people want me to go. Mm-hmm. People are into it and people get it and they they like what's happening. Then I'll keep doing what I'm doing.
1: Well, that's neat. I, I could buy some empanadas and take them home.
0: <laughs> yeah, why not, yeah, right? Nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, it would be good. The colada shop in the D.C. coffee scene, how's it fit? Where do you see yourselves there?
0: I think we still have hurdles to go as far as. I guess or do our direct competitors, or what people expect out of just a coffee shop. Yeah. A lot of our clientele, they stumble onto our coffee menu because of everything else that we offer. I feel like we have ways to go. Other coffee shop offer different things that we just don't. Also, it's you know we have a lot of space constraints at mm-hmm. the shop. Within the coffee scene, I think we're still seen as a specialty, like a more. I'm not sure if there's a further defined specialty shop. Gotcha. We do all the classics, and we try to be as minimalistic in our approach to coffee, but mm-hmm. also focusing on the flavor and the culture, right. and also this overwhelming sense that people get when they see the menu. They see new things, they think that they've been to every coffee shop, and they've seen it all, yeah. and then they hit us, and they're just kind of like, whoa, Uh-oh. what's happening here? Yeah. So, you know, I welcome, I want to be able to join more coffee events and be seen a little bit more seriously when it comes to coffee, because... I think it's totally okay to do things differently, yeah. but I think there's always room for improvement. There's always room to connect with other people and see what they do. But I'm enjoying that people are kind of getting Cuban coffee culture, yeah, and that they enjoy it.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Well said, and um, yeah, because your menu includes pour overs, right? And
0: we don't do poros, but we do what we call the Cuban press.
1: Okay, French press, right? The French Cubanism press, yeah. correct.
0: Again, with that is just a, a fun play on words. Yeah. Um, everything that's on the menu, we don't want to be super serious. Yeah. I am not the most serious like coffee person, but I am particular about taste and I am particular about process. And I want to create a standard for this execution of our mm-hmm. coffee menu because I feel that once people see that there's consistency and they can get a cafe cubano and it becomes part of their everyday menu then it'll be a lot easier to introduce other things yeah. that won't be as shocking
1: kind of along those lines you do have partnerships with some dc shops right or- yeah
0: I mean, we've partnered a lot with women-owned businesses, we've uh, Lemon Collective, mm-hmm. uh, we do a lot of community outreach, but we do what we like to do, is we call it like win-win partnerships. Yeah, It's really important for us to, one, partner ourselves and align ourselves with people who believe the same thing that we do, whether that's change through a women-owned business, you know, my partner's I support her. I think there's a I love this whole entire woman movement of, you know, women understanding and honing their power without feeling that they are somehow this there's this huge struggle. I never experienced that struggle because I grew up with a lot of women. You know, I think there's always a room for everyone in every setting. So I definitely support a lot of those initiatives because our coffee shop is very pretty. We get a lot of women who come to our shop and, you know. There's lots of spending power with women, with men, with anyone who walks in through our door. Um, And I think (laughs) equality is of the utmost importance, especially in the world that we run in. The beverage world or the food world can be somewhat very man-driven, and I think it's fun to support initiatives and support different Latin programs that help to bring awareness change the conception of like what it is to be a latino business owner here i understand the challenges understand the misconception but also hard work Mm -hmm. it's a lot a lot of hard work for me it's super important to put out there what we do the difference of showing people that latinos are one we're everywhere i'm not to say that we're taking over but (laughs) it's just a way to to say it's good to have change and it's good to show people Something different. I think mm-hmm. this country has been built on that, but on different cultures. And a lot of people tend to forget that that's why we are where we are. Yeah. So, again, if I can do that through coffee and food, that's what we want to do. We partner with Compass, who do our coffee. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know, but Harrison is half Cuban. Oh, really? Yeah, he's one of the partners there. So, that was like a big connection. He understood automatically what we wanted. He didn't have anything on his menu that was similar to what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we use the same uh, espresso machines. So Mm -hmm. he also uses Mod Bars and we use them, you know, through our partnership with Compass. We brew our espresso. We use the same espresso bean, but a different roast on the drip. Gotcha. So we do Havana blend for drip. And then the espresso is the same bean, but I brew by volume and he brews by weight.
1: Hmm. And can you talk a little more about that relationship You all took three months to really dig into what you wanted out of it and making sure it was mutually beneficial.
0: We did a lot of cuppings. We tasted a lot of things. Our meetings were, I've never been so caffeinated. (laughs) I've never come out of a meeting shaking before. Those were, uh, you know, it was really important for me to try to get as close to a location or flavor profile that you experience in Miami. It was super important for us to, one, have the coffee, have this strong smell, but also when brewed, it gave you balance. It was it gave you those, you know, we, we didn't want this whole new fad of like high acidic, mm-hmm. very citrus forward espresso that in my mind just doesn't blend very well. Mm-hmm. Espresso sales as far as by themselves are much fewer than the blended. Espresso drinks like lattes and cappuccinos. So having understood that, I was like, well, I need to have a great base. And part of what makes that Cuban coffee experience and Cuban coffee shop houses, what makes them successful is that consistency and dark, rich flavor, sugar, and balance. It doesn't really linger with you or cut anything when you're having it by itself. Mm-hmm. We've all had that awkward espresso where you're just like, "What happened? Yeah, so that's what I didn't want. So I was really the driving force of us trying things and combining. We ended up combining beans from Southeast Asia, Western Africa, and Central America, and that changes throughout the year. But the ratios and beans and the different roasts that they do, so there's three different roasts that we blend mm-hmm. that we all enjoyed a whole lot better. I guess that's part of the reason why focusing on single origin things, like, we love that. Um, and they definitely do an amazing job. You know, we've had Nicaragua single origins that they've had. We've had Colombia. We've also done Kenyan. And they're all wonderful. But people don't look for that at our shop. They're really not interested at all. So I enjoy that people kind of turn off their regular coffee shop experience or their expectation when they walk into our shop. They really like, just tell me what's good and I'll try it. You know? And Compass was really awesome at understanding that they were doing a special blend for us that they only do for us and we only sell it in our shops. But they loved how different we thought. You know, Harrison was a huge part of in our beginning, like we didn't have espresso machines like when we first started. We had ordered mod bars and we were waiting. And you know when you wait for these espresso machines, they take forever. And they really gave us their facilities and they let us train and use. Um, Funny enough, with this whole process, there was also a lot of education that I was doing with them. Mm -hmm. Like teaching Harrison, I was like, nope, that's not it. Or, no, we got to try it again. He really understood, at least through me, Cuban coffee, what it needed to be like. Mm -hmm. And the addition of sugar. We were struggling a lot with how sweet should we go when we were doing this for everyone. So we kept on saying we would try different levels of sweetness. We'd give it to Harrison, and Danila would try it, and then we'd be like, no, it's not Miami sweet. And Harrison looked at us, and he was like, that's what you guys should do. You guys should give people an option and call it Miami sweet. From that partnership is where we integrated giving people the option. Really? Of making it a very traditional drink, or half, or not at all.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And it yeah. sounds like it was, as you've mentioned before, mutually beneficial and kind of changed the way you approach it.
0: Yeah. Uh, he gave us a lot of insight of local coffee mannerisms and how people were yeah. and his experience of coming up and doing everything with his partnership and his coffee brand. So it was, it still is very beneficial to us. They're, yeah. they're great partners
1: oh that's good to hear and always fun for me to see kind of the different collaborations across the coffee scene in DC and hopefully there'll be more as it continues to develop uh, yeah I would love that and so definitely people if you're listening and you have been to the Clado shop go there for great coffee great food and then also really great drinks yes. um, <laughs> and just two last questions for you as we start to close if a friend was in town from somewhere yes what is one shop that you would take them to eat at
0: I would go, and this is probably what not a lot of people would expect, but it's very near and dear to my heart. I would go to Toli Moli in Union Market. I would go and visit Simone and her mom. They do some really awesome Burmese stuff. I love the faludas that they do. Really fresh, super tropical, and they're really amazing people. They have this great little bodega that has like the funkiest retail section, really delicious food, and if you ever get to meet mom... I would say do it. She is like the bubbliest lady you will ever meet, full of knowledge, really, really delicious food, and great people. Also, Union Market's a fun place to go. We get to kill lots of birds in one stone.
1: There you go. For those foodies out there, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes, please, foodies, go over there. There you go. (laughs) Flock.
1: (laughs) Well, perfect. And then the last question for you is, what is something that the DC Drip listeners could do for the Clotta Shop?
0: I think they should experience a bit of Caribbean culture. You could do cocktails or coffee or food, but I think that going in with an open mind and and expect to be transported and know that you're going to have fun in in a coffee setting. That's what I want them to at least be their takeaway when they come visit us.
1: Yeah. Well, brilliant. So get out there and experience it. And thanks so much for being here. And it's been fun to to learn more about cubanism and cuban tradition and the colada shop and your all story i've been real excited for the wharf and then even potentially the retail locations so yes uh, well thank you mario and is there anything that we missed that you wanted to share or talk about
0: ask for more cuban coffee there you go <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: awesome well thanks again for being here thanks for two or two crates for helping us out with the audio tyrone the engineers making it happen yeah otherwise yeah the colada shop uh in the summer
0: yes please do 14th and T in Sterling Virginia
1: and that's a wrap folks follow the Clotta Shop on Twitter Facebook and Instagram or visit their DC and Sterling locations subscribe to Drip a DC Coffee podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and please give us a review as always Drip would not be possible without Mike Crockett the engineer 202 Creates and Tyrone Litman for audio support the Broke Royals for music Rebecca Silverstein for logo and web design and Wesley Stukenbroker for creative support. Thanks again for listening and keep brewing community.